April 2nd. 2020 or just April 2nd really whatever year you're listening to this I'm recording it in 2020 but April 2nd will still be April 2nd in the one year reading Bible plan for years to come we are on a journey through the Bible together it's the point of this podcast and today we're going to pick up where we left off in the New Living Translation version of the one year Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 21 starting in verse 1 and we will read through chapter 22 for our Old Testament reading When you are in the land the Lord your God is giving you, someone may be found murdered in a field. You know, just like as happens, you know, just there might be somebody in a field murdered. Uh, I love the Bible. I really, really do. I don't know why that verse is funny in my head. Uh, Hopefully it's funny in yours also. I just, I love that. Just in the course of where you are, you might find somebody murdered in a field. Anyways, let's continue on in verse one. And you don't know who committed the murder. In such a case, your elders and judges must measure the distance from the site of the crime to the nearby towns. When the nearest town has been determined, that town's elders must select from the herd a heifer that has never been trained or yoked to a plow. They must lead it down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted that has steam running through it. There in the valley, they must break the heifer's neck. Then the Levitical priests must step forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister before him, and to pronounce blessings in the Lord's name. They are to decide all legal and criminal cases. The elders of the town must wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken. Then they must say, Our hands did not shed this person's blood, nor did we see it happen. O Lord, forgive your people Israel, whom you have redeemed. Do not charge your people with the guilt of murdering an innocent person. Then they will be absolved of the guilt of this person's blood. By following these instructions, you will do what is right in the Lord's sight and will cleanse the guilt of murder from your community. Suppose you go out to a war against your enemies and the Lord your God hands them over to you and you take some of them as captives. And suppose you see among the captives a beautiful woman and you are attracted to her and want to marry her. If this happens, you may take her to your home where she must shave her head and cut her nails and change the clothes she was wearing when she was captured. She will stay in your home, but let her mourn for her father and mother for a full month. Then you may marry her, and you will be her husband, and she will be your wife. But if you marry her and she does not please you, you must let her go free. You may not sell her or treat her as a slave, for you have humiliated her. Let me pause here, because uh, to our modern sensibilities, that last verse can seem a little harsh. Uh, If you marry her and she doesn't please you, then let her go. And I can already feel some of the women listening to this going, uh-uh, oh boy, if I don't please him. Uh, but you have to understand the uh, the context and the culture. And this ancient culture that this text was originally written, uh, women were treated as commodities. Like, you, you just if you were a woman, it didn't matter who you were, you really didn't have a lot of value. Um, you, you were just there to please men. And what we have to understand is God here in Deuteronomy and in the first five books of the Bible, he's creating a brand new society, the first time a society has acted this way and it is the ethic that leads to the ethic we all have today and it's the reason we find this verse offensive is because of the way christianity and god has um, so infiltrated the culture but here this is actually an act of mercy because if you think about it in every other culture where a woman is a commodity here god is saying uh, if you marry her you have to let her go like you, you can't treat her as a slave she's not uh, an object for your pleasure alone. She is created in the image of God. She is an image bearer. She has value. She has rights. So really, it, it's a beautiful verse about uh, God's love for women and, and the way he 
uh, gives them rights and treats them as equal people because we would all know and say, yeah, obviously they are. Uh, but in, in that culture, it wasn't, wasn't so obvious. Verse 15, suppose a man has two wives. That's always a problem, brothers. Uh, it's not in the scripture. Uh, I'm adding in right here, but you should just, you should just stick to one wife. Uh, and by the way, the Bible is not condoning two wives here. Uh, it, it's just simply pointing out the fact that if somebody does have two wives, it's not saying go get two wives, it's just saying if you have two wives. So verse 15, continuing on, it says, Suppose a man has two wives, but he loves one and not the other. Both have given him sons. And suppose the firstborn son is the son of the wife he does not love. When the man divides his inheritance, he may not give the larger inheritance to his younger son, the son of the wife he loves, as if he were the firstborn son. He must recognize the rights of his oldest son and the son of the wife he does not love. By giving him a double portion, he is the first son of his father's fertility, and the rights of the firstborn belong to him. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. In such a case, the father and mother must take their son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town must stone him to death. In this way you will purge this evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. If someone has committed a crime worthy of death and is expected is executed and hung on a tree, the body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. You must bury that body that same day, for anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of God. In this way you will prevent the defilement of the land the land your God is giving you as your special possession. Chapter 22, starting in verse 1. If you see your neighbor's ox or sheep or goat wandering away, don't ignore your responsibility. Take it back to its owner. If its owner does not live nearby or you don't know who the owner is, take it to your place and keep it until the owner comes looking for it. Then you must return it. Do the same if you find your neighbor's donkey, clothing, or anything else your neighbor loses. Don't ignore your responsibility. If you see that your neighbor's donkey or ox has collapsed on the road, do not look the other way. Go and help your neighbor. Get it back on its feet. A woman must not put on men's clothing, and a man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God. If you happen to find a bird's nest in a tree or on the ground, there and there are young ones or eggs in it with the mother sitting on the nest, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but let the mother go, so that you may prosper and enjoy a long life. When you build a new house, you must build a railing around the edge of its flat roof. That way you will not be considered guilty of murder if someone falls from the roof. You must not plant any other crop between the rows of your vineyard. If you do, you are forbidden to use either grapes from the vineyard or the other crop. You must not plow with an ox and a donkey harnessed together. You must not wear clothing made of wool and linen woven together. You must put four tassels on the hem of the cloak with which you cover yourself on the front, back, and sides. Suppose a man marries a woman, but after sleeping with her, he turns against her and publicly accuses her of shameful conduct, saying, When I married this woman, I discovered she was not a virgin. Then the woman's father and mother must bring proof of her virginity to the elders. Let me pause there. I believe that would be very complicated. I, I'm just, I, really, I would love to know how they would have proof of that. Anyways, that's just my ADHD brain. We're obviously not in the Bible, so let's get back into the Bible. Verse 15. Proof of her virginity to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. Her father must say to them, I gave my daughter to this man to be his wife, and now he has turned against her. 
He has accused her of shameful conduct, saying, I discovered that your daughter was not a virgin, but here's the proof of my daughter's virginity. Then they must spread her bedsheets before the elders. The elders must take the man and punish him. They must also fine him 100 pieces of silver, which he must pay to the woman's father because he publicly accused a virgin of Israel of shameful conduct. The woman will then remain the man's wife, and he may never divorce her. Now, again, this is weird. Um, it kind of makes me laugh, and, and I'm making jokes, but what God is doing here is, is amazing. This is not normal for their society. He is giving rights to the woman. You don't just get to do what you want with women. They are equal. Everyone is made in the image of God. Some of the rules we saw up there, um, talking about how you need to build a railing around your roof so that if somebody falls off, you're not counted as a murderer. Why? Because you're just, you, you, as God's people, we think about others as equals. Like, I didn't push him off the roof. Yeah, but you, you should have thought about who would be on your roof and, and took extra precautions. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. We are, we are for life. We are for people because we all believe that we are all equal. Nobody's more special than anybody else because they have more or less money or because they're, they have more or less weight. Can I get a better amen, somebody? We are all equal in the eyes of God. Why? Because we are all image bearers of God. Black, white, Latino, Asian, whatever you are, whatever race, ethnicity, whatever way you want to divide yourself up, you are not more or less than anybody else. And people around you are not more or less than you for any reason. Verse 20. But suppose the man's accusations are true and he can show that she was not a virgin. The woman must be taken to the door of her father's home, and there the men of the town must stone her to death, for she has committed a disgraceful crime in Israel by being promiscuous while living in her parents' home. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. Now, all the talk of stoning, Deuteronomy is a hard book uh, just with things, and, and like I said in one of our earlier readings, I find myself wanting to defend the Bible, but I don't need to. Um, if you find yourself going, ooh, I don't really like that, um, or I don't like the way that that feels, uh, you need to understand God doesn't like it either say, wait, isn't this God's word? Absolutely. God inspired it. And, um, but I can tell you God doesn't like people dying because he sent his son to take the place so that we would not have to face his wrath. God is a holy God. And part of the, the problem with us sinful people trying to do business with a holy God is that holiness cannot just let sin go by. His wrath must be poured out. And, um, because of this, uh, we're in trouble, and you get things like Deuteronomy. This is the way it just has to be. There has to be wrath for our sin, consequences for our sin. This is why Jesus came, and he lived the righteous life you could not live, my friend. And he bore that sin on the cross of Calvary, dying for your sins and giving you his righteousness so that you might be able to live in freedom and live and walk before the God of this universe. Verses like this shouldn't make you go, oh man, that, that makes me question God or think he's wrathful. No, it should, it should remind you all the more of what you actually deserve, and you should praise God for the grace you've actually been given. You deserve the wrath and so much more than what we see in Deuteronomy, and so do I. And yet because of what Jesus has done, because I've placed my trust in him, the gospel or good news is that I get to face not the judgment I deserve, but the rewards that only Jesus deserves, but he has so graciously allowed me to share in. That's amazing, my friends. Remember that gospel as we read. Verse 22. Uh, if a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. Suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin who is engaged to be married, and he has sexual intercourse with her. If this happens within a town, you must take both of them to the gates of that town and stone them to death. The woman is guilty because she did not scream for help. The man must die because he violated another man's wife. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. 
But if the man meets the engaged woman out in the country and he rapes her, then only the man must die. Do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no crime worthy of death. She is as innocent as a murder victim. Since the man raped her out in the, in the country, it must be assumed that she screamed, but there was no one to rescue her. Suppose a man has intercourse with a young woman who is a virgin, but is not engaged to be married. If they are discovered, he must pay her father 50 pieces of silver, and then he must marry the young woman because he violated her, and he may never divorce her as long as he lives. A man must not marry his father's former wife, for this would violate his father. And be weird. The and be weird part was added by yours truly. That concludes our Old Testament reading for the day. Moving on to the New Testament, Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through chapter 10, verse 12. Verse 51, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> I love it, man. That is so cool. Uh, so Jesus is facing a little bit of opposition, and his disciples are like, yo, you're God. Why don't you just uh, you know, rally up some fire from heaven, and let's just scorch this place? Uh, which, you know, if you have just read Deuteronomy that morning, you might be thinking, hey, this is God incarnate, and we just read about his wrath. He's going to do that, right? No, <laughs> that's not Jesus. Verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. I love that. He's like, no, we're not... We're not going to rain fire down from heaven. Guys, knock it off. That's that's so good to me. Verse 57. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The moral of those verses is, is it must be total allegiance to God. And it's not saying you don't care or love your family. Of course you do. We're commanded to love our family. But what it is saying is you value God's opinion over your family's opinion. You can say, Mom, I love you, but if you're telling me to go this way and Jesus is telling me to go this way, I'm going to ignore you. Um, best friend, I love you, and I want you to go with me where I'm going following Jesus, but I cannot go with you where you're going anymore because I believe the way you're going leads to death, and I want to live in a way in which I find fulfillment, peace, and purpose, and salvation. And following Jesus is the only way I can do that. So it's, it's about values and allegiance. And for so many of us, we have allegiances above Jesus. And maybe perhaps for you today, the most honest thing you can do is sit down and say, what are the things that I would be unwilling to give up for Jesus? And maybe, just maybe, uh, that exposes uh, your heart and where your uh, allegiance truly lies. Chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. I want to pause because generally anytime I see... Uh, a clear command to pray in the scripture. I like to stop and pray, so let's do that. Lord God, we pray uh, that you would send more workers into the harvest field. I pray even now that some people listening to the sound of my voice would, would begin to feel called to be elders, shepherds, pastors, preachers, and they would go out into the harvest field vocationally. But Lord, let us not forget that we are all called to this. 
Lord, help us see our friends and our family members who are far from you as opportunities to be missionaries, to be sent out to harvest those people so that they might be a part of your family as well. Give us the courage. Give us the resources. Give us the people we need in our lives to be able to be the kind of people who go out to reach others for your namesake, inviting them into this gospel, this good news that only you provide. In your name we pray. Amen. Verse 3. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, May God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality, because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into the streets and say, We wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this is the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off uh, than such a town on Judgment Day. Now, back up to verse 11. I messed up a little bit there on that last sentence, and it probably didn't make sense. Let me read it again. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. Verse 12. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. I'm sure that other verses I have said didn't make sense. That's because I'm not editing this podcast. I'm just reading it. Uh, so if you would like to, you can go back, New Living Translation, and read it for yourself if something didn't make sense to you. Proverbs 12.11 is our proverb of the day. A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. That one uh, is good for me. I, I'm an idea guy. I get about 9,000 ideas a day, but you got to work. You want to you wanna know who has food and who doesn't? It's really pretty simple. Hard workers. If you work hard, you probably make money and be able to provide. If you just sit in dreamland all day, you're not actually going to make any progress. Really important. Psalm 74 is the psalm of the day. Again, it's another long one, uh, so I'm not going to pray through it as I normally would. I'll just read the whole thing and pray for it. But I would encourage you to go back today and verse by verse pray through the psalm as we normally do. A psalm of Asaph. Oh God, why have you rejected us so long? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your own pasture? Remember that we are the people you chose long ago. The tribe you redeemed is your own special possession. And remember Jerusalem, your home here on earth. Walk through the awful ruins of the city. See how the enemy has destroyed your sanctuary. There are your enemies. There your enemies shouted their victorious battle cries. There they set up their battle standards. They swung their axes like woodcutters in a forest. With axes and picks, they smashed the carved paneling. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the place that bears your name. Then they thought, let's destroy everything. So they burned down all the places where God was worshipped. We no longer see your miraculous signs. All the prophets are gone, and no one can tell us when it will end. How long, O oh God, will you allow your enemies to insult you? Will you let them dishonor your name forever? Why do you hold back your strong right hand? Unleash your powerful fist and destroy them. You, O oh God, are my king from ages past, bringing salvation to the earth. You split the sea by your strength and smashed the heads of sea monsters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan and let the desert animals eat him. You caused the springs and streams to gush forth. You dried up the rivers that never dry. Both day and night belong to you. 
You made the starlight and the sun. You set the boundaries of the earth, and you have made both summer and winter. See how these enemies insult you, Lord. A foolish nation has dishonored your name. Don't let these wild beasts destroy your turtle doves. Don't forget your suffering people forever. Remember your covenant promises, for the land is full of darkness and violence. Don't let the downtrodden be humiliated again. Instead, let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how these fools insult you all day long. Don't overlook what your enemies have said or their growing up roar. Lord, thank you for today's reading. Thank you, Lord, that in this psalm we were reminded that in the midst of our fears that we are to look at you. And what do we do when we look at you? We remember what you've already done. And this psalm provides so many great things and wonderful uh, pointers uh, to what you have done, uh, creating all that we see, all the the battles that you won in the Old Testament. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians, we can look towards the battle that you ultimately won for us, that you sent your son to die in our place, in Blake's place, individually and collectively. Uh, Lord, let us remember that because of that, we've been freed from the condemnation of guilt and shame and sin. And we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit uh, as, as citizens of the kingdom. Lord, you, we don't believe that heaven is, is just a place we're waiting to go after we die, but that heaven and earth are, are co-mingling. We're in the middle of it right now. We are kingdom citizens. We, we're already a part of the kingdom of heaven while we still wait for the full consummation, which is the third part of the good news, and that is we have a future hope, Lord. And uh, we grieve, uh, but we don't grieve like everybody else. We have a joy that is unable to be taken away from us because we have that future hope. Lord, thank you for that. Help us to remember that today, even as our fears may increase. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for uh, joining me today for today's reading through the One Year Bible. Uh, I will see you back here tomorrow, hopefully, for yet another day of reading through the Bible together.